verse. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 today. Deuteronomy chapter number 4. You know, we do things and we do them out of habit and we do them over and over and over through the years and sometimes they wane in their significance. In the early days of our country, because I've read about it a lot this week, reading of the Scripture was one of the most important parts of the worship services in those days. They read extensively from the Scripture. They did it partially because many people couldn't read, and that was their only opportunity to hear the Scripture. They also did it because Bibles were not in as great supply. A Bible was a treasured thing in those days. Many families only had a big family Bible that was difficult to even carry to church. And so, the pastor would have the people stand, just as we do here, out of respect for the Scripture. And he would read, or they would read together. They would read responsibly or however. But they would read long portions, sometimes several chapters. Usually one chapter from the Old Testament, one from the New, would be the minimum in every service. So I say that to you to remind you of the importance of even the corporate reading of the Word of God together. When we do this, this is important. I, I wish everybody here would understand this is really important that we, that we participate together as a church family in the reading of the Word of God. And so if you were to open your Bible there to Deuteronomy 4, I'm going to read quite extensively today. Stand with me if you will, please. Follow with me in God's Word. We begin in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 7. What nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all of this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons, or the grandchildren. Now go to chapter 8 with me, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines, See, this could be a description of America right now. And fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. And when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. And beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when you hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, 
And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord thy God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Thank you. You may be seated. The Word of God as spoken by Moses. The book of Deuteronomy is a very unique book in the Bible. God had visited Moses now and told him that he was about to take him home, that he would not be allowed to go into the promised land because of a very grievous act of disobedience against the Lord. And so God said, before I take you home, I want you to gather the the nation of Israel again on this side of the river before you cross the Jordan and take possession of the Holy Land. I want you to speak to the people, and I want you to go over the law. Remember, they didn't have books. They didn't have what you and I have to call remembrance. They had an oral tradition where they had to speak things over and over and over. And uh, though they read and though they had writing, they just they didn't have printing presses, I guess is the way to say it. And so things could not be as widely distributed, so they just had to say them and say them and say them repetitively. So Moses gathers the people, as God has said, and he actually delivers five different discourses or messages to them before he passes away, before God took him, and then took him up and took the people into the land. And in these remarks, you'll find repetition. Over and over, you'll see the same words, the same phrases. Why is he doing that? Because everybody doesn't have a book to remember it from. And he wants to just absolutely stamp upon the minds of the people of Israel certain precepts and concepts and principles. He does not want them to ever forget them. So these are sermons, if you will, the last sermons of the man of God, Moses, delivered to the children of Israel. He makes them personal and their application. In verse number 9 here, he says, Take heed to yourself, chapter 4, verse 9. Take heed to yourself, lest you forget and depart from the Word of God. Take heed to yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure that you don't forget what is being said here. Some of them are words of instruction he gives them. Over and over through this book, he talks about teaching them to your children. If I could say a word to every parent of a child here today, are you teaching the children? He didn't say, take them to Sunday school. He didn't say, it's the preacher's job from the pulpit to instruct them. He said, parents, you teach your children. Instruct them. Tell them the stories And tell them over and over and over the stories of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the stories of Jesus. And when it comes to the country, tell them how God delivered us from Egypt and how he's fed us for 40 years through the wilderness. Tell them how he supplied our food with manna and he furnished us water from a rock. Tell them how he saved our lives over and over and gave us victory in our battles with forces that were vastly superior to our own. 
And I would apply that to where we are today on this Independence Day week, this celebration of the nation, the celebration of freedom. We'll be standing around our barbecue grills. I hope you don't think that's what the, it's about. I hope you understand we're not celebrating the 4th of July. Why would we celebrate the 4th of July more than the 3rd or the 5th or the 20th? The purpose is not to celebrate the 4th. The purpose is to celebrate the birth of our nation. It's Happy Birthday America this Saturday. And we think about what God has done in the life of America. And that's what we're celebrating. And as we stand around our barbecue grills, as we are fishing maybe with our children, we tell them the stories again. It's parents' responsibility. Oh, parents, hear me. Teach your children every day. Make it a teaching day for them. It's a time to remember. It's a time to think. In our fireworks and our cutting the watermelon and burning the hot dog, let's don't forget what this day is really, really about, huh? This is about the greatest nation born on the earth since the days of Israel. And so today, my first point to you is don't forget. Chapter 4 in verse 9. Only take heed and keep your soul diligently lest you forget. Underscore that in your Bible. Lest you forget. Don't, don't, don't forget, he says. And then I go to chapter number 8 and verse 11. Beware a warning before he says, don't forget. And then I go down to verse number 18, and he turns it into the positive. Instead of saying, don't forget, he says, now, remember. And over and over, because the book of Deuteronomy is a book of repetitions, saying over and over the basic things that need to be said, that need to be remembered in our minds and in our hearts. So don't forget. I'll tell you part of the story. The first white men came to America around 1619 to 1620, 400 years ago. Some of them went to Virginia and tried to start a tobacco plantation. And after a short period of time, it didn't work. We don't even know what happened to some of them. We call it the lost colony of Virginia. Another group of them left England and they went to New England, and they went there, and in New England, they planted at Massachusetts a colony, and they were the ones who made it. Their purpose in coming here was very clearly stated by them. It was freedom of religion. Now, listen to me. What I'm telling you won't coincide with what you'll hear in public school or university or mainstream media, but this was what was taught in every school in America up until about 50 years ago. This is our history unrevised. This is the story of America. This is the story of those separatists, they were called, English separatists. Called separatists because the Church of England, in England now was practicing something that they, they rejected totally. The Church of England 
referred to itself as being under the headship of the king and the queen, the king or queen, depending on who was ruling. These people believed in the separation of church and state. And so they were called separatists. They separated themselves from the church. And they said, we're not going to worship where the king or the queen is the head. We're going to worship where Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That was the key issue with them. So they left England, and they heard they would have freedom in Holland. And they went to Holland, not too far from England, really. They sailed there. They took their children. They never felt comfortable. They never were uh, assimilated into the culture of Holland. And their children, to use their words, were taking up the ways of the world. Their customs were different. And they were learning things their parents did not believe. And so they went back to England for a brief period of time. They saved their money. You have to remember that when they came to America, it was not a free passage. Some of them were spending up to a year's earnings to be able to buy the ticket to get on the Mayflower so they could come to America. And so they came. They landed there. You know the story. And their vision, their purpose The reason that they came was not so they could become affluent. They never expected to become affluent in reading their writings. The reason that they came was to have freedom of religion. John Winthrop, a young man who was still elected to be one of their leaders, John Winthrop said these words, We came to establish a city on a hill. Now, he took that phrase, a city on the hill, from the Lord Jesus Christ's words there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And Christ talks about a city on a hill that's light cannot be hidden. And Winthrop was saying, we are going to start a nation, a new country. And the purpose of that country will will be the city on the hill to the world. And the world around us, the pagans, they referred to them then the unsaved world, and so much of the world was in darkness. And he said, they will look at America, and they will see an example of what God wants a nation to be. He said, we will be a light unto the Gentiles. Think about that, a light to the Gentiles. The people who are in darkness will look at us, quoting from the book of Isaiah, and they will see what it is that Christians are like, and perhaps they will be drawn to the light. So they established that colony there in New England. They had a lot of trouble. At first, they had almost a socialistic idea that everybody would work the land, it would be common land, and then everybody would enjoy equal fruits of the land, and it bombed, it failed, they almost starved to death. And then they gave everybody their own portion of land, capitalism, free enterprise, And people took a greater interest in the land, and they began to farm it, and they began to work it, and prosperity came to them, and they had plenty to eat and plenty to wear and so on. Now, that was not the founding of America, and it's important you understand that. America, though, did not begin. The United States of America did not begin in 1619. We're not celebrating them. I'm telling you the context. I'm giving you background so that we can understand. It was 156 years, 156 years 
from the day that the pilgrims landed until America became the United States of America. Those 156 years, we don't think about it that way very often, I don't think, but we were under colonial rule. We were subject to the king and queen of England at that time. They really had the final legal authority in this country. They governed the country, and when they became tyrants, then that's when we decided that we would start the United States of America. And so on July the 4th, or July the 4th, 1776, 244 years ago this Saturday, they signed the Declaration of Independence. And that separated us from the mother country, England. And now we are our own nation among the nations of the earth, the United States of America. Something else, Christians often uh, don't, don't really clarify this. I hear preachers often say, we started out as a Christian nation. No, we didn't. This has never been, it was not organized, it was not planted, it was not legally declared to be a Christian nation. It had a lot of Christian characteristics. Here's, here's the way to say it, I think, very, very accurately is, America was not founded as a Christian nation, but it was founded by Christians. It was founded by Christians who had a biblical worldview, a judicial, a a uh, Judeo-Christian worldview. And they founded the country to reflect the principles in the Bible, but they didn't declare everybody a Christian because they were part of the United States. That's that's important to, to understand. And we became a nation that day, July 4, 1776, 244 years ago. Two and a half centuries now of this nation, still relatively young among the nations of the earth, but now a mature nation. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, it began with these words. I read them again this week, and studied them for a while to share with you some insights. They wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. No more pregnant sentence and paragraph has ever been written so full of meaning and deep philosophical and spiritual thought. First of all, I call your attention to the fact that they believed in God. There were not a bunch of atheists and agnostics sitting around, as you will hear taught today. Listen to what they said in their own words. We are endowed by our Creator. They referred to God as the creator. These were not evolutionists. These men believed that there was a God in heaven with enough power and wisdom that he could create the planet, that he could create the universe. They believed in the God of the Bible. Not a Hindu God. He was not a creator, not a Buddhist God. The Buddhist God didn't create anything, doesn't even claim to. Allah wasn't, doesn't claim to be the creator. Almighty God in the Bible is the creator. And they recognize that. They affirm that. 
And then they said this, all men are created equal. They believed in equality. There were times the nation may have wondered from that, but in our founding document, it says all men are created equal. We don't have this hierarchy. We don't have the Hindu caste system. We have a society where all people are born with the same status legally before the government, before the law. Now, they didn't say all men are equal because all men are not equal. All men are created equal. It's up to you then what you do with it to a great degree. And then they said they referred to inalienable rights. That's not a word we use very often today, inalienable. What does it mean? It means the same thing as natural rights. It means God-given rights. It means that my rights, my liberties are not a gift of the government, praise God. They're not a gift to the legislature or the Congress or the Supreme Court. My rights were God-given. The government may harass me. They may become tyrants. They may try to take those rights away. They can't take them away. They're God-given. They're a part of my human DNA. John Kennedy said, the rights of man came not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. My, what a powerful statement. Then they told us something else. They told us the purpose of government. My goodness, I think everybody in Washington, D.C. has forgotten this. The purpose of the government is to secure those rights that governments, for that reason, governments are instituted among men. You know why the government of the United States exists? Not to establish a foundation to study the sex life of the praying mantis. And the purpose of government is not to provide schools and education. We didn't even do that until the middle of the last century. The purpose of the government is to protect the rights that are God-given of the people of the country. That's their primary purpose, to protect our rights, not to be Uncle Santa Claus where everybody's going trying to get something. The purpose of the government is to secure the God-given rights that they referred to right here. And that's the greatest thing government can do for anybody is to understand that and keep their hands off. And America became great. America became the greatest nation universally recognized. CNN might not like this, but the rest of the world understands this is the greatest place of all to be. My goodness, we have to keep walls and fences to keep them out. Why do people want to break into America? Why aren't they trying to break into China? One word, freedom. Freedom. And it's freedom that makes America great. America offered more liberty to more people than any other nation in all of history. And because of that, it made us great. Because, you see, when people are free, they can be innovators. 
When people are free, they can take initiative. If you're a slave, if you are under a tyrant, there's no reason for you to try because your opportunities are limited. But it's freedom, it's liberty that gives people the initiative to go on and make it on their own. Immigrants flooded into America from Europe, from Asia, from Africa. If you don't believe that the rest of the world thought America was the greatest place, let me tell you why. Uh, some data here. The nation of France was grateful to America because we helped her in several different ways. And I don't have time to go into that. And they built a statue. A statue that is so large, it took them several ships, several boats to even transport it over here. An arm on one boat and the head on another boat and the trunk on another boat. And they brought it over to New York Harbor and they erected it there and it stands there today. But the statue of what? Liberty. They recognized, the nations of the earth recognized America is the place that best represents liberty on this planet. And God blessed America because people had liberty. Now, today when you talk about America being good, you know what? I hate to even acknowledge this, but in the climate in this country today, you almost want to hold back because Everything people have heard about the country today is negative. America's good because she's the land of opportunity. Liberty gives opportunity, and millions have literally picked themselves up by their bootstraps. Came to people came to America through Ellis Island, 16 million of them in one grand time there. They landed on these shores without a penny in their pocket, and they became millionaires. You can't do that anywhere else. It's America. America defeated both the Nazis on the Atlantic side and the Japanese war machines on the Pacific side. Both of those empires had plans to dominate the world. Had the Japanese won, you would be under the Japanese government today. Had the Nazis won, you would be under Hitler's government today. And on two different, in two different Asian, uh, oceans, in two different theaters, America won two major wars simultaneously. We today refer to it as World War II. And saved the world from Hitler and Japanese imperialism. Generosity, the Marshall Plan rebuilt Europe. After we had saved Europe from Nazism, we went there and we built hospitals and schools and factories and roads, and we paid for it. Generous. America brought down the evil empire of the Soviet Union through economic pressure back in the 80s. Americans have fought wars in Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other places to protect human rights of people there that were oppressed. Missionaries have left America's shores to take the gospel of Christ to virtually every single nation upon the earth. And across the world today, tens of thousands of church steeples rise 
because of American dollars, and missionary schools, and missionary hospitals. Why doesn't MSNBC ever mention that? Why is it always negative? Why is it always something bad that has happened in America? Our medicines, our technology, our inventions, our innovations have blessed the entire world. And perhaps the greatest thing of all, after six million Jews had been decimated in Hitler's gas ovens, the Jewish people came together and says, oh, we want a homeland. Can we go back to Jerusalem? And it was American dollars and American protection and American influence that served to reestablish the nation of Israel. Three million Jews in the midst of 300 million hostile enemies. And she stands today. The people of God have returned to the land just like the prophets said they would. And were it not for America, God would have worked it out. But I don't know how he would have worked it out. Praise God, we were able to be the instrument through which he worked it out. America. But you see, every mention of the goodness of America today brings a response. And if I listen to the media, I think America is not good. I just thought that today I ought to get up and brag on the country a little bit. That there ought to be some good news. I'm dating myself now. But I remember a song by Ann Murray back in the, I don't know, 1800s or something like that. And it was, I sure could use a little good news today. <laughs> How many of y'all remember that? No, you don't need to indicate. <laughs> I sure could use a little good news today. And all the news is bad about America. You'd think this is the worst place on the world and on the planet to live, wouldn't you? I love my country. I love America. I thank God. Only 6% of the people ever born on the planet can say, I am an American. 94% of the people would love that to be written on their passport. So I thought I'd just brag on America a little bit today. But you see, when you mention it today, the climate is such that uh, our country has been so trashed now. Its institutions have been so trashed. I don't know if anybody can really identify what is the single greatest enemy of America. But I believe I can spell it. ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, and uh, Reuters News Service. That's the way you spell it. Because all we hear is how sorry this great country is. It breaks my heart. America is not perfect. I don't know that anybody ever claimed she was. America was founded by sinners. They may have had a biblical worldview, but they're still sinners. I'm still a sinner. 
you're still a sinner. All have sinned. You think Benjamin Franklin, Je uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington were perfect? They were not. They were men and men with feet of clay, men who had sinful, evil desires. They faced greed and lust and pride and so on, just like every one of us faces. The subject now is slavery. How do you even stand and talk with people in America about slavery today and an audience in South Carolina? Slavery is evil. Slavery is, here's the word I would use, an abomination. S slavery is shameful. It's a dark, dark blot on the soul of America. I'm ashamed that the people who ran this state owned other human beings. Nothing is as evil, nothing is as diabolical as that one man takes away the natural rights that one man who has means exploits another human being in a land where we have written in our declaration that this person has inalienable God-given rights, and I take them away from him and make a, make a, a chattel out of him? I don't even know that I need to say it. I've never met anybody that was for slavery. The most evil person I ever met hated slavery. We haven't had slavery in this country for over 150 years. 